Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lecturery-based resource um, designed to ask the provocative question of whether and how politics should feature in our preaching this week. My name's Beth Alison Glennie, I'm a Baptist minister and I'm working as the Baptist Union's public issues enabler. Each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place or space in the pulpit and political landscape. Today I am very pleased to introduce uh, the Reverend Dr Ian Birch, the Principal of Scottish Baptist College. Good morning Hi, Beth. Ian. It's nice to see you, thank Good you so you. much for joining us this week. So politics in the pulpit then, I, I wonder what that means for you? Well I think it always means uh, for me is, is reading the scriptures with an eye to what this means, not just for me personally or the congregation personally and individually, uh, but what it means for uh, God's plan to redeem all of creation and to redeem the world. Uh, it means thinking about issues of, of justice and peace uh, in the text and trying to draw some of those out and to think of the bigger picture and uh, the big narrative uh, of what scripture is about. Brilliant, thank you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, a bit maybe about your context and, and whether or not you see yourself as kind of a pulpit politician? Um, well, my, my context uh, is obviously in Scotland. Um, I'm the principal of a college where we're training other people to be preachers, to be ministers, to be missioners uh, and chaplains. Um, so I'm constantly thinking about wider issues uh, in public life when we're thinking about scripture and when we're thinking about texts so that is that is the context in which i work um i i, I think in truth i don't often think of myself as a as a politician in the pulpit or, or anything like that um i i think when we're in college and we are exploring texts in class and thinking about theology we're, we're nearly always talking about politics and it, it, it's sort of like a backdrop against uh, against which we're doing a lot of our exploration of, of God's word for God's world today. Um, I think inevitably some of that does filter through, you know, when I'm preaching and when I'm out talking in churches and want people to think about those issues, um, you know, and to, and to think about God's big plan for, for his world. Um, but I think in truth, I don't often think of myself as a, as a politician. I, I, I think that the task of preaching is often quite pastoral and we're, we're speaking into people's lives and into people's needs and trying to encourage them in, the, in their faith. Um, so. I absolutely think that for me, I've, I've ended up in a role which is very political because of the pastoral care that I have been doing. It's it's when you um, you watch your congregation deported that you suddenly find yourselves in these political situations because you're offering your, um, you know, your community pastoral care. And then suddenly there's these big political issues that are kind of part and parcel of of the things that you're dealing with and I think for me that absolutely would echo that that kind of the pastoral um and then for me realizing that like kind of led me into kind of asking these broader political questions about the world as well um yeah. if uh if you were preaching this week perhaps uh do you think there would be a uh, an issue in the news perhaps or a, a something that you might have an eye to looking at kind of 
having as some of the context for for what you might be saying i don't know if you are preaching this week i'm not preaching this week uh, as it happens um but uh, i've i've been looking at the the lectionary texts and uh, for the for this coming week and i i think there's so many issues in the texts and things that are going on in the world at the moment that i think we have to try and make some connections between the two i i, I mean things that keep popping up in the news are, are things like myanmar and and uh, protests in hong kong and china and what's going on in belarus and and other places i mean how can we not think about issues of, of freedom of justice uh, of peace um and I think when you come to the the text, especially the the lectionary texts for for next week, they they speak a great deal about faith and about hope, and we certainly need um, a resurgence of hope uh, in our hearts and and in our people at this time. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to make connections between the texts. Yeah, absolutely. I think with um, this pandemic world at the moment, I think um, we're, we've got that as the big kind of conversation going on, isn't it? How is lockdown going to ease and, and the announcements that are coming today? Um, each week, I ask my JPIC colleagues for a little bit of a roundup of their expertise and say, what do you what do you think we should be keeping an eye on? What are we missing or what's there that we should be um, holding uh, as we as we look to scripture? And, and um, they've also brought up the budget coming up on when. Wednesday, um, on Wednesday the 3rd, they're saying the decisions um, that are there, will be about financial support will be, will be taken about the financial support on the £20 for, for universal credit, um, furlough, and what the priorities for recovery are in terms of economic development, and just um, that we might want to be aware of that, especially that will affect uh, those we serve. Um, and then that also um, real a real hope that that budget might deliver a lot around um, carbon reduction and, um, and kind of supporting a clean industry. Um, and then also the overseas aid budget cut will need to be confirmed in that um, in that budget as well. Um, and um, there's there's conversation about how we could vote or not uh, people could vote or not vote to override that as it goes into law. Um, and then um, I'm aware that you're in Scotland and and with an eye to Scottish uh, kind of dev devolution that kind of um, also there's there's going to be a lot of elections coming up in um, in May. Uh, we, we trust Corona Corona tide depending um, and just is perhaps worth like just flagging up for people that um, there are going to be election available on the JPIT website if um, people are looking at kind of how to host hustings online and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I totally resonate with with what you're saying. Then, and I was um, reflecting particularly on the the the, the lectionary text about Abraham uh, in Genesis 17. And one of the things that caught my eye uh, reading that text again was this um, emphasis on, on that Abraham is going to be the father of many nations. And uh, you know, there's like many people been observing and listening to commentators talk about the rise of nationalisms uh, in recent times and the protectionism and uh, you know and um, the sort of closing in on ourselves and protecting ourselves in these times and when we think of the you know the unity of the nations that we have through the story of Abraham then I think the whole business of vac vaccines as well and um, making vaccines available to other other nations 
seems so important and that sense of connectedness uh, to other peoples is something that we want to amplify and uh, to, to draw out for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. We've been working a lot on some campaigns work around that and I really agree. Yeah. We need to see ourselves as global people, don't we? And uh, and God's concern for the whole world and, and, not, and I, not allow ourselves to be pressed into this narrow sort of nationalism and just looking after number one all the time. I think the um, I think the real thing as well as church that we bring to to any conversation in politics um, when when you know some some of us are, are kind of looking at the political ends for um, for preaching but other people will be listening to this maybe as a resource in their in their political world and I, I really think the gift of church is that we're always aware of our global locatedness that that we have brothers and sisters all around the world and um, and part of being a kind of universal church is that really then you can kind of you feel like well if if I if I it's my duty to love my neighbour in a country that I've never been to, then actually how do I live that out? And I, I think that for me is always um, one of the real gifts of church life um, into the political sphere. And I think that we kind of bring that really uh, kind of clear worldview as, as we come. Um, I'm always I was thinking um, we've we're kind of bring bringing ourselves around to the text then and that kind of Genesis text. I was thinking. Um, uh, as ever there are three in the lectionary and, and we're Baptists so I expect we're lectionary is not really our normal world um uh we're, we're working ecumenically um and um and I and I'm I'm probably always um when I preach on the lectionary I always end up always preaching on the gospel but I was really struck when I was looking at the Genesis text um which is the first reading today there are three there's um Genesis 17 um uh which is the calling of Abraham and Sarah and then there's the second reading, which is uh, Romans 4, um, and Paul's discussion about what that means in the light of the Christian faith and in, in the light of Jesus. And, um, and it's quite a complex passage theologically. Um, and then there's the gospel, um, which is Mark 8. And that's a passage where Jesus really um, rebukes Peter and tells his disciples that they must uh, take up their crosses um, and follow him. So um, looking at that first text um, that you've, you've just kind of brought to to light I think that for me it was really struck by the um the fact that in the commentaries it, it says that Abraham is often translated as exalted father um but it also means this father of multitudes and kind of how we we've have have had a habit a tendency in the past of translating it one way uh, as in it's, he's our our exalted father but actually there's this kind of well actually that's not quite what the word means there um and I was really struck by that when I went and had a look at that um, so is it is it Genesis you think you'd be preaching on or is there a theme or, or which would? Well, actually, um, when you pose that question to me, I, I was thinking that initially I, I, my instincts would always be to go to the gospel text. But as I was reflecting on these, I, I actually thought that I would probably end up preaching on the Romans um, passage. Not least because of just some of the themes that that seem to to leap out and seem so relevant uh, for the times in which we live, um, themes about faith and hope that I've already mentioned, mm. and um, I I think that people at the moment are, are feeling a real sense of, of crisis about hope, mm. and I, I we in our own church here in Glasgow. Uh, the church that I attend, we've had a whole series since the uh, since the new year leading up to to the start of Lent uh, on developing this theme of hope and how we maintain our hope, uh, how we uh, keep our focus on, on what God is able to do. Uh, and related to that are the themes of faith, which is so strong in this text. 
And I, I know that these are well-worn themes in some ways, and yet um, preaching is always is always about you know making the ancient texts come alive in the in the contemporary context in which we live, don't we? And uh, so, and and also the the theme of life that is so strongly in this Romans text it is that God is the God who can bring something out of nothing. You mean could even think of a vaccine in that sense, isn't it? You know, is that for a year we struggle to. Uh, or scientists have been struggling to to find uh, an answer to to the pandemic to find a vaccine bringing something out of nothing and the the god in which we believe and the god in uh, who we trust is the god who brings things out of nothing and so we have to put our faith and our hope and our trust and our confidence in him as the god of life as well the god uh, who gives life to abraham when there is no life yeah and the god who brings life into our context too and uh, the god who who is creator so there were just lots of, of ideas and uh, i didn't develop a, an actual sermon out of it but i just thought there's a lot here that's resonating with me and, and things that i think i would if i was preaching this coming sunday that i would want to draw out and uh, to tell this story of abraham again and to, and to, to make it contemporary <laughs> Is there anything you think um, in these kind of either Genesis or the Romans text that you really want to unpack to get there? Is there a kind of, um, you've talked about the themes of hope and life. I wonder if there is a particular conversation that you'd kind of, uh, you know, think if those who are preaching this week that they kind of might want to hear is this particular line. Maybe there's a phrase that you think, actually, that's, that's the nugget. That's That would be my sermon spark. And I'd want to unpack that a little bit more. Uh... No. Oh, that's a tricky question sorry it's not meant to be it's not meant to be an interview <laughs> there's no right answers I'll, I I'll tell you the phrase that, that that really jumped out at me and I, I haven't particularly unpacked it but it, it is the phrase that keeps buzzing around in my mind is um is in Romans 4 13 when it says God promised to Abraham that he would inherit the world and mm. I thought what a powerful phrase that is, that he would inherit the world, um, is that, that God has, has not abandoned this world and that God is, is not just about saving souls, but God is about redeeming his creation and making this world into all that he wants it to be. And so issues like pandemics, issues like wars, issues like injustice, budgets that you've been talking about and, and elections, all of this is of God's concern mm -hmm. uh, because he's working on, on the grander scale and somehow we've got to tr try and fit our individual lives into that. So uh, into this business of inheriting the world, God calls this one man, Abraham, and impacts his life so dramatically and his wife, uh, Sarah, and gives them a child that is going to be the beginning of, of something that is a, of enormous consequence. And so there, there is this confluence here of, of the, you know, the individual and the global, uh, even the, the cosmic. Uh, and, and so it was that, that phrase that, what did God call Abraham for? To inherit the world. I mean, I, I, I would just want to play around, I think, with that a bit more. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so if there's one no, phrase. I been in here that that's the one that's been tickling me and I think I think I was really struck that um when Paul is writing he's writing to Romans about this um and that these are this is a probably a community that that will ha um have 
uh, have been really struggling with its relationship to Judaism. And um, and I think maybe there's something that it's it's saying here about um, actually it seems to be quite affirming of of what has gone before. We don't just you know we're not just getting rid of this huge huge story of God that's come before. Actually, we we get to be kind of part of that as Christians. But it it's, it seems to be almost saying something as well about kind of our you know I think Christianity has not always had a, a good relationship with Judaism, and we have often perpetuated a lot of anti-Semitism. And I think that's what Paul is saying really stands against that, and actually says something about kind of very affirming of no, this is this is Abraham's covenant and we get to be kind of part of it through Christ. And, and I, um, there seems to me some of what, what's in there. And I think that's, um, I think that's really interesting, uh, for me. I also, um, I, I, I come, I come to Paul as, um, as somebody who has often been told that Paul says I can't preach. And I think that always colors slightly the, the, the way I view Paul, and it's probably not Paul's fault at all. It's it's probably the later commentary, but I I look at um, some of his uh, glossing over of some of the the way he talks about Abraham, and I think he seems to have um he seems to have given Abraham's best version of events here, doesn't he? This <laughs> is a view of Abraham as like this kind of righteous, faith filled character that I think well, it's not quite written like that in Genesis. He seems to make a lot more mistakes in real life. Um, and I, I thought maybe there is this human tendency, isn't there, in us to kind of, um, to, to give the best case, you know, the best case of a person's character. And sometimes they can be very flawed individuals. And um, and I, I did, I think that God works through the kind of the real human brokenness of our situations to bring good stuff out. And I think, um, I, think I, I guess, um, that's almost a pastoral comment rather than a political one, but I think it's one of the things I guess I want. I ask, I ask of it because I think, well, uh, Paul, why have you glossed over some of the stuff that he got wrong here? Why have you given us a and a nice rhetorical flourish of he's so good and so righteous? Um, oh, I totally agree with you, and I, I've preached on Abraham a few times, and I, I, I tend to preach on Abraham where it says, and he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and immediately after that, he goes out and you know, uh, takes Hagar and, and has a child with her. And it, it it's like even the, the text in Genesis juxtaposes this tremendous uh, act and exclamation of faith with then human weakness and, and failure. And I, I do find that very, very helpful because great paragons of faith and virtue are, are hard to hard to live with uh, in some ways. Yeah. And, and if we're going to unpack Romans, I mean, we've got to remember that uh, you know, which is something I don't hear enough of, I think, uh, in, in Christian preaching is that the whole book of Romans is not about how I get myself into heaven uh, and the story of salvation. The book of Romans is written about how does the church live uh, as a Jewish and a Gentile entity and, and how is the gospel reconciled um, diverse and disparate people? And that's why this theme of inheriting the world and and Abraham as being the father of many nations is so important because the book of Romans is, is written to, to unpack the theme of reconciliation and uh, of harmony and of unity and, and, and how we live together. And, and again, go back to something I was saying earlier, you know, that this seems to me to be so important at this present time and the, the part that Christians can play in this of being agents of reconciliation, of peace, of understanding and of openness of generosity of generosity of spirit yeah absolutely. you know just at a time when we seem to be pulling back on generosity whether it's you know in universal credit or in you know things that we give to other nations aid. Yeah, absolutely so. yeah 
Um, I think a few of our preachers this week will be uh, looking at the um, looking at the gospel. So I wonder if we could just turn to that. Um, and um, I guess uh, so. It's Mark eight. This and it's um, again. It's one of those moments where I, I come to the lecture with a, a slight kind of like, oh, why have you done that? Yeah. <laughs> if I was writing a preaching plan, I would have put the comment. That's um, so. It's it's chopped off this um, this bit of of. Uh, so Jesus is teaching um, where we've just had before Peter having this conversation um, with Jesus um, saying that he's the Messiah. And um, and it's, it's given us this kind of bizarre kind of snippet where it's like chopped it in half, really. And I would I would say to anybody looking at this text, you know, go and look at the bit that's just gone before, because I think it really puts it in a, a very important context. Um, and because um, I think out of context, it sort of suggests that God's just a big fan of suffering. And um you know, suffering for spiritual reasons is a good thing. Um, but I think in context, um, the kind of this this Mark passage really kind of uh, brings out this conversation that the expected ideas around nationalism and a Messiah are really um, not, are the, you know, the people's expectations were wrong. Um, and I think, again, it talks about this idea of nationalism, doesn't it? Um, so uh, the passage is, has introduced us, if, if, um, if you have that earlier, to the idea that Jesus and the disciples are on this uh, walk in, um, to Caesarea of Philippi and, and this is a Hellenistic city that Herod's, Herod the Great has just built a big, uh, there's a temple there to honour Augustus and um, there's this huge conversation going on there about kind of, um, again, kind of, uh, well, is this okay? And um, this is an area of the world that, that saw it uh, wasn't really too keen on the Roman rule. Um, and so this conversation is happening on the way. And it, and I think it's um, interesting that also a lot of conversations seem to happen on the way in Mark's gospel, that we never seem to be at our, our destination. It's always on the way uh, that we're reminded that, we, you know, so, um, you know, also on the way, as well as this conversation, we've got the di disciples taking no sustenance for their journey. So, again, that's quite an economic decision. Uh, the non-discipleship of the rich man but then the discipleship of the blind beggar. And I think that, you know, so we kind of look, Jesus is having these conversations about taking up the cross and following him in this, in this on the wayness that in Mark's gospel will then show us that actually who, who good, what good discipleship looks like is going to be upside down and inside out from what we're expecting. And I really think this Messiah language is kind of worth unpacking a little bit as well, isn't it? That, um, uh, uh, that kind of actually people had expected this kind of military leader who would defeat Israel's enemies. Um, and Jesus uh, is saying, don't tell anybody about this, you know, uh, perhaps not wanting that notoriety, saying actually this isn't this isn't quite how you understand it to be. Instead, the son of man is suffer. And um, and um, I was just really, um, really interested that Jesus is not caught up in the kind of excitement of his public ministry going well, but kind of this. Uh, idea that he knows what what will lie ahead and and so um but he speaks well of it and he kind of says you know um thinking of the human things is about power and and, and conquest but that's not how god thinks this is not the way god works um and then actually then he tells people to take up the crosses and i think i i've i've grown up in church life so taking up your cross is like really wearing a nice necklace um and um and we might look at parts of the world where that martyrdom is is a much more obvious conversation than here but um I think um actually it's really it's a political thing isn't it he's talking about this is what the Romans did the Romans um hung you know hung people on crosses who were 
slaves often and, and often the poorest uh, and the people who had no status and anybody who was um, uprising would be crucified. And this idea that Jesus is saying, take up your cross, because actually, if you're not nervous about death at the hands of the state, then um, you will discover some sort of new life and some, you know, you, you'll gain your life. This is how it somehow works, that you'll gain a freedom if you're not afraid of of being kind of uh, given this military death. And I think it is interesting that kind of, yeah, I think when we privatise our faith in that way that we often do now in a kind of um, worldview that, that actually to hear it in that back in that political context will maybe give us a lot more to talk about uh, yeah how do we live life how do we defeat nationalism how do we um, how do we live in hope to pick up your earlier theme I, yeah I mean I, I totally share that I mean it, I, I think that Jesus is so domesticated in our you know in our western form of Christianity that we don't I don't think that we hear the authentic Jesus you know too often at all mm. and um and so I th I think that even passages like this we somehow um, yeah you know reduce them down to to some form of suffering that is pretty soft and easy really you know giving up so something um, you know not very consequential for Lent and things like this or cut out chocolate or something as if that is taking up my cross you know uh, let's get real about this this is not <laughs> what the text means at all and you know for a few years I mean. It came to me as a bit of an epiphany, really, in some ways, which uh, is ridiculous because I should have realised it donkeys years ago. But unless we see Jesus as some sort of revolutionary leader, we, we just don't get some of these texts at all. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we have to imagine somebody almost at the barricades saying to, saying to these men, unless you're prepared to lay down your life, then this the revolution is not going to happen. The kingdom of God... Is, is not going to happen yeah you know it's yeah. it's not going to come you've got to you've got to give up everything you've got to be prepared to uh to lay it all on on the line and that's how you'll save your life and we we spend our lives trying to save our lives make things better for ourselves improve our situation and jesus is constantly summoning people to give it all away and uh yeah. And, and it just shows how it's saving life, losing it. It's these economic terms of the gospel, you know. This kind of like, you know, we think, oh, just you know, if I could have a bit more money, or if, <laughs> if we could just make life a little bit more secure, or if our church could be a bit bigger and a bit more, you know, comfortable. But actually, this is you know these radical economic terms about saving and losing, and yeah, yeah, we kind of water it down. Yeah, I mean, going back to, you know, to what's going on in Myanmar at the moment, I mean, I, I was thinking you you can't read this text and not think of those people who, who are saying, you know, there there is a regime that is in place that is going to destroy so many lives, it's going to oppress so many, it's imprisoned, you know, uh, other leaders, you know, th there is no time for soft peddling here. It, it's like we go out on the streets and we protest. And if you're not prepared to almost die on the streets, nothing will change. And, and Jesus is in, is in that mold, I think, you know, it's it's this is what it's going to take for the kingdom of God to come. It's it, it's an all or nothing situation. It, it's it's deeply, deeply challenging. And, uh, yeah. you know, unless we see Jesus in, it, I think, in some of that political framework, then we're not really getting the, the challenge of the gospel. And we are domesticating the Christian message to make it, you know, very comfortable for ourselves and. Uh, you know, turning the, the gospel message into some sort of therapy, I think, is what we do sometimes. And Absolutely. You know, 
I think of a book like, you know, Glenn Stassen wrote some years ago, A Thick of Jesus, you know, which talks about this political edge to, to the whole life, the message and the ministry of Jesus is something that we really need to, to grasp and, uh, and to contextualize. I mean, you know, taking up our cross is not something that happens in our world, is it? You know, and that's so we've got to contextualize it and think of the ways in which God calls us to, you know, to, to, to lay down our lives and many people are doing that you know in in christian service whether it's in the nhs or whether it's in mission contexts or or in other ways you know there are many people who really do take this absolutely seriously and uh, and live and work it out and this is the challenge it is well i think um i think on that note <laughs> i mean i think that is the sermon isn't it <laughs> um i think yeah um so thank you very much uh, for coming on today, um, because I think uh, I think that that's the challenge. It's this, you know, in this kind of when we try and nationalise, when we try and domesticate, what what are we doing with this God who calls us to be, you know, to kind of just beyond border, beyond, you know, beyond our comfort zones, beyond our kind of little economic kind of way of being and actually this uncomfortable political gospel that um, that is here. Um so thank you, thank you so much for your wisdom and um, and sharing your reflections with us today, and for having this conversation. I, I think um, everyone will say that how much it's been really appreciated. Um, and um, thank you to everybody else um, who has come and joined us for this conversation, who's listening in or watching us online, um, and. And thank you for asking that question of, of whether or how we should preach politics in the pulpit this week. So let's go out both into our political lives and into our pulpits with um, a blessing as we close. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Bye.